Norfolk is a city of strength and determination. As today, in the beginning, its destiny was based in and around its waters. Its waters harbored the great ships that brought the materials for building a nation. Its port provided a foothold for the men, women, and children that would carve out a new land and develop its resources. Norfolk is a historic city determined to succeed against the challenges of war, pestilence, and fire. Before there was a Norfolk, there was a Skeecoke, home to the Chesapeake Indians. It was the center of their ancestral home and tribal nation. On April 26, 1607, three English ships, the Godspeed, the Discovery, and the Susan Constant, landed near present-day Cape Henry. We found fair meadows with such fresh waters running through the woods as I was almost ravished at the first sight thereof. We passed through excellent ground, full of flowers of diverse kinds and colors, and as goodly trees as I have seen. George Percy, April 1607. Wary of raids from the Spanish and hostile natives, the explorers initially settled upriver at Jamestown. Thirty years later, when the threat of attack was no longer a factor, Lower Norfolk County was created. Tradition has it that Captain Adam Thorogood, a leading developer of this new land, named the area Norfolk after his home shire in England. It was not without hardship, but the new Virginia colony ultimately proved to be successful. Planters shipped tobacco and pine products like lumber and pitch to England from their wharves. English merchant ships returned laden with trade goods. The British wanted a central port for trading and taxation. Norfolk's natural harbor made it a logical location for a new town. Norfolk, surveyed as a tiny site of 50 acres, was purchased from Nicholas Wise by trustees of Charles II. The land was paid for with the currency of the colony, 10,000 pounds of tobacco. Norfolk town, when it officially came into existence in 1682, represented an original investment of $5,600. A little more expensive than Manhattan, but the weather was better. The city began in an area bounded today by City Hall Avenue on the north, the Elizabeth River to the south and west, and Norfolk Southern Railroad and Harbor Park on the east. Due to the surrounding waters, one street heading north, the road that leadeth out of town, was the only land route to the outside world. Ferries and ships were the primary mode of transportation. By 1691, the growing town had become the county seat of Norfolk County. By the beginning of the 18th century, Norfolk had become the largest settlement in colonial Virginia and the most cosmopolitan city south of Philadelphia. Already its narrow streets were crowded with English, Africans, Scots, Spaniards, Dutch, and others. It was a city of many people and cultures, and home to wealthy merchants and ship captains. Norfolk has the most air of any town in Virginia. It has all the advantages for trade and navigation. Two cardinal virtues make the town survive. Industry and frugality are seen here to perfection. 
so long as they banish luxury and idleness, the town will remain in a happy and flourishing condition. William Byrd, 1736. Norfolk had grown so important that Lieutenant Governor Robert Dinwiddie presented a silver mace to the city as a symbol of authority in 1754. Norfolk became a doorway to the riches of North Carolina and the West Indies. Cut off from the sea by the Outer Banks, the people of northeastern North Carolina came to Norfolk to shop and ship their goods abroad. Early in the 18th century, this lucrative trade also attracted predators. Infamous pirates like Captain Kidd and Blackbeard roamed the waters in search of easy prey. Noisy sounds of work filled the air as sailors, shipwrights, merchants, and artisans went about their business. Norfolk was the center for many of the Commonwealth's most talented craftsmen. Handsome furniture and fine silver objects were among the city's notable products. The art of shipbuilding drew throngs of skilled workers to shape and seal the hulls of great sailing vessels. Slaves and free blacks were part of this labor force. Some slaves, leased from plantation owners, earned enough to buy their freedom. Historian William Forrest noted, Commerce was exceedingly flourishing. Money was plentiful. There was little grumbling about hard times. All were busy. A prosperous state of affairs was plainly exhibited on every hand, and no one doubted the future greatness of this place. As America's colonists grew defiant of royal authority, Lord Dunmore, Virginia's last royal governor, issued a proclamation urging loyal colonists and their slaves to help crush the revolution in Virginia. His call fell on many sympathetic Tory ears in Norfolk. On New Year's Day, 1776, Dunmore's ships fired on the city. Between the British bombardment and the fires set by the Virginia troops, two-thirds of the town went up in flames. Fires raged for three days. To deprive the enemy the use of the city, the Patriots burned the rest. Norfolk lay in ruins. Its prosperity reduced to ashes. It was referred to as Chimney Town. Norfolk St. Paul's Church, which had been reduced to a shell, today still bears a scar of the bombardment, a British cannonball embedded in its walls. After the war, many new faces arrived in Norfolk. Moses Myers, a Jewish merchant, relocated to Norfolk from New York. He built his graceful home and encouraged many of his friends to relocate to Virginia. By the early 1800s, trade increased and the city prospered. A merchant commented, A person could almost walk from Norfolk to Portsmouth solely on the decks of the vessels that anchor in the harbor. Norfolk's harbor also became home to the new nation's first base for warship construction. In 1807, the American warship Chesapeake, en route from Norfolk to the Mediterranean, was attacked and boarded by the British ship Leopard. Three U.S. citizens were taken off and forced into the British Navy. 
This impressment was the emotional issue which helped push the country into the War of 1812 with England. With war approaching, Fort Norfolk, which had been authorized by President George Washington for defense of both the shipyards and harbor, was strengthened in 1810 with ramparts that still stand today. The British were defeated at nearby Craney Island, but no shots were fired by the fort. This time, Norfolk was spared the torch. After the war, it was not long before new flat-bottom steamboats were bypassing the Queen of the Chesapeake to capture Virginia's river trade. This time, a man-made waterway came to the city's aid. The opening of the Dismal Swamp Canal made North Carolina's commerce even more accessible. Following the end of the international slave trade, many, including Presidents Jefferson and Monroe, felt returning African Americans to the land of their forefathers would make up for the injustice of slavery. When the ship Nautilus left Norfolk for Africa in 1818, with 50 black settlers aboard, its journey was underwritten by the Norfolk Colonization Society. Liberia's first elected president was Joseph Jenkins Roberts, who was born in Norfolk. Norfolk attracted many visitors from heads of state to explorers. I expected to have seen an old, dirty-looking, gloomy, clownish town. On the contrary, the houses looked fresh and the citizens polite and hospitable. On a score of refinement and taste, it has more than any town in Virginia. Anne Royal, 1828. Incorporated as a city in 1845, Norfolk now seemed to be facing decades of progress. New buildings added new character to the landscape, but soon the city would face an unwelcome visitor from the sea. July 8, 1855 marked the first death that year from the dreaded yellow fever. The steamer Ben Franklin arrived in Hampton Roads with its cargo of mail, but it also carried patients with the fever aboard. The disease quickly spread through the population. Those who could fled the city. There had been lesser outbreaks before, but the great epidemic of 55 wiped out a third of the city's remaining population. The corpses accumulated so rapidly that coffins couldn't be supplied for them. The dogs banded themselves together, howling dolefully, and prowled about silently as if aware that something sad and unusual was going on. William Forrest. On May 23, 1861, Norfolk ratified the Virginia Ordinance of Secession and joined the Confederacy. Norfolk residents had a front row seat to one of the most famous battles of the Civil War. In the first naval engagement between ironclads, the USS Monitor and the CSS Virginia, formerly named the Merrimack, fought to a draw in Hampton Roads. This epic battle in March of 1862 was to change warfare at sea forever. Two months later, Union troops under General John E. Wool entered Norfolk and accepted her surrender from Mayor William W. Lamb. During the occupation, the mayor hid the city's mace under the hearth in his house for safekeeping. 
War's end brought hard times on the city as the necessities of life were scarce. With the rebuilding of the war-shattered railroad system to Norfolk, once again the city began to revive. Reconstruction brought other changes. Due to new amendments to the Constitution, for the first time the South's and Norfolk's black men were able to vote and hold office. The first blacks were elected to city council in 1870, but as the institutions of reconstruction were dismantled, nearly another century of black disfranchisement began. We're homeward bound to Norfolk Town. Goodbye, fare well, goodbye, fare well. By the close of the 19th century, Norfolk was again reborn as a major international port. Oysters became the basis of a key industry. Harvested from Norfolk's waters, these delicacies, as well as many other varieties of seafood, fresh vegetables, and strawberries, were shipped to cities up and down the eastern seaboard. Millions of tons of coal also passed through the port, destined to all points of the globe. During the 1890s, commuter neighborhoods like Brambleton and Ghent reflected the new prosperity of the city. Downtown Norfolk stirred with activity. Commercial place was the heart of the city, with ferries playing a vital role moving people and products in the inner harbor. Electrified trolley lines radiated out from her center. Farmland gave way to rows of neat new homes. The trolley now took thousands of Norfolk citizens to Ocean View for daily outings and vacations. In 1907, 300 years after the landing of the first three ships in the Norfolk area, the city celebrated its growing international importance when President Theodore Roosevelt opened the Jamestown Exposition at Sewell's Point. The same year, the Great White Fleet, 15 of America's most modern warships, left the harbor on a two-year voyage of peace that circled the globe. Three years later, Eugene B. Ely made aviation history by piloting the first airplane launched from a ship. Ely flew over Norfolk's waters from the deck of the USS Birmingham, a converted coal ship. A cautious Wilbur Wright had declined the honor. The increasing number of automobiles filling the streets led to more suburban developments. I remember the first time I went in an automobile, we rode out to a colonial place and I turned around there and came back and I couldn't have been over, I might have been six or seven years old, but they, I remember the conversation was, do you imagine they'll ever have motorized hearses? And they said, of course not. They'd never treat the dead with disrespect. In 1917, America entered the First World War, and Norfolk was called on to play a significant role in the nation's war effort. President Woodrow Wilson signed a bill creating the Naval Operating Base on the site of the Jamestown Exposition. Navy officers moved into state houses originally built for the fair. They are now known as Admiral's Row. the population declined after the war, the twenties in Norfolk were as roaring as anywhere. Crowds danced the Charleston, 
and motorboats sped across the bay with their illegal loads of rum and whiskey. Movie theaters became the new rage. Saturday night in downtown Norfolk, I mean, was the night to howl because, of course, the main movie houses were there, and, and, uh, and Norfolk had uh, three vaudeville houses, of course, the Colonial, the uh, Low State, and the Norman. And uh, the last two were really sumptuous places. They were real movie palaces. Beneath the facade of apparent prosperity, economic forces soon changed the American landscape, and a Great Depression settled on the nation. Jobs created by national defense expenditures sustained Norfolk as other areas of the country rocked with crisis. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt's New Deal brought construction projects to Norfolk. Attractions like the Azalea Gardens, Foreman Field, and the Norfolk Museum of Arts and Sciences, now the Chrysler Museum, increased Norfolk's stature as a center of art, culture, and education. With the construction of a new airport, the city drew in more new visitors and citizens. Over the years, Mother Nature laid her own designs upon the face of Norfolk. Ocean View and Willoughby Spit were heavily damaged during the hurricane of 1933. With the outbreak of World War II, Norfolk's population doubled. Defense and government workers, soldiers, sailors, airmen, and their families moved to Norfolk, straining the city's resources. So-called hot beds were rented by the shift to defense workers. Entire families lived in single rooms. The port was vital for moving war material to the fronts. Norfolk was a hub of military activity on the East Coast. The Allied invasion of North Africa was planned in Norfolk's Hotel Nansen, in sight of convoys forming offshore. With German submarines prowling off the Virginia coast, blackouts, rationing, and major voluntary efforts became part of the city's daily life. The war brought anxiety, long hours, and a desperate need to forget the dangers of battle. Norfolk's wild side got a little wilder. After the war, Norfolk was the first U.S. city to receive federal funds for urban renewal. The Norfolk Redevelopment and Housing Authority took charge. Slums and tenements were bulldozed and replaced by public housing. A new civic center complex arose from where scores of seedy bars once stood. Norfolk grew to accommodate its new citizens. In 1959, as part of his program of massive resistance to federally mandated school integration, Virginia's governor forced the city to close its schools. The Virginian pilot helped mobilize the people of Norfolk to reopen the doors again. Its editor, Lenore Chambers, won a Pulitzer Prize for his efforts. With school integration, Norfolk's promise to African Americans came closer to fulfillment as both races worked together to build an open society. Ever since the uh, 60s, 
uh, Norfolk had been very unique in having a very successful coalition of blacks and whites sharing power. In Norfolk, we're not inclined to get into some of the little petty things that uh, the uh, groups done in other cities because of this successful biracial coalition. The pace of development and change gained momentum with new construction, seemingly everywhere. But the city took pause to pay its last respects to America's old soldier, Douglas MacArthur. He had returned to be buried in the city of his mother's birth. Norfolk's naval base continued to grow in importance. With the Supreme Allied Commander of the Atlantic and NATO aboard, she enters the 21st century as the largest naval base in the United States, and in fact, the world. Norfolk's destiny has always been linked to the water. Sail-powered clipper ships have been replaced by fast container ships. Commercial place has given way to new towers of glass and steel. Not far from where the yellow fever victims were buried, now stands Norfolk's major medical complex, where America's first in vitro baby was conceived and born. New life is symbolic of Norfolk's history. Born of the sea and sustained by caring people, Norfolk is constantly building and renewing to meet the challenge of each succeeding generation. It is a city in motion, and like the water, it reflects the prospects of a bright future.